0: Morning. Morning. Y'all look lovely. Hey, it's messed up. Y'all get any sleep? Yeah. No. Y'all tired? Mmm. Feel so bad for you. And I drink my PJ's coffee. All right. Well, I'm I'm thrilled to be here. I'm excited to be here. Um, and I am burdened for today and for you guys, for this topic. Um, before we get into it, a couple things that need to happen. One, my wife's birthday was yesterday. And she is 33 years old, and it's never looked that good. Okay? And so what we're going to do is we're going to send her a little Marco Polo right now. Because I don't get to experience the, the joy and the fun of being here with you guys unless she releases me. And stays with four monsters. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, hey, baby. And then I'm just going to, like, flip it to y'all. And you can just say, thank you, Casey. Is that cool? Yeah. yeah. All right, she's going to be really excited or embarrassed, whatever. Hey, baby. I love you. Thank you so much for all that you do. All that you sacrifice. And they want to say thank you as well. Thank you. Nailed it. Awesome. Thank you for that. Awesome. So other thanks needs to be made to people that serve so heroically to make this happen. So if I say your name, you can go ahead and stand up. Abby, you're already up. Great. Abby Lemoine. Ben Osinak. Taylor. Nicholas Pell. Abby Thaxton. What else we got? Perry and Patrice Fry. Eric Schmoltz, wherever he is, man's a legend, and then we have the rest of our band, Luke, Jack, their manager, Steven, who's just awesome, great job with the games, and Evan May, so here's the thing, Evan spends significant time seeking the Lord, caring for you all, and uh, praying on your behalf to see, Lord, where would you have us go, and where are they right now in life? And as yesterday was, or last night was attested, he just did a fantastic job of showing us how beautiful our Savior is and what he's done for us. Evan, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate it. Well, the title of this message is The Road Ahead and the Power Needed. And so I'm thinking about y'all, and I'm thinking about being down the road. And wherever you are right now, What does that feel like for you? What kind of hardships are you going through? What kind of exciting things are you experiencing? You know, sometimes your journey can feel like, they're in back again, a hobbit's tale by Bilbo Baggins. And it can be exciting and thrilling. And look, there's some cave trolls, but they just got frozen. And now you're good, right? And then other times it can feel devastating. Like you've just been absolutely wrecked. And I want you to know that it it matters. His eyes are on you, he sees where you are, and I believe today the Lord would like to remind us of that and remind us of the power that is available for us in time of need so like i said your your, your journey can look pretty exciting, it can be thrilling, um, however it looks. If you were to have a movie made of you, like Lord of the Rings, right? And you're watching it, and you're getting excited and anticipating, and you're like, why would you do that? Never go in there by yourself. Or if you're like, man, I would grab that ax, I would just kill him right now. Or I would have gotten on the eagle and killed the ring in less than an hour, right? We can all be like Monday morning quarterbacks, or we see something on the outside, we're like, oh man, I I would just kill that early. But what happens when you're in it? When you're faced with what you're faced on this road, how do you respond? Do you try to do it on your own? We have this huge self-empowerment movement. Do you? You got this. Anything you believe. Dream big, princess. Whatever is out there, are you, are you doing that? You know, there's a... Um, oh, there's a clicker right here. There's a movie that came out In 2007, that's not that. There it is, 300. I'm not promoting this movie by any means. Please do not see this movie. My mom let me see it in 2007 by fast-forwarding to just scenes of them talking and the gory parts. Okay? But there is a scene in this, something that takes place in this film, that was very, very helpful. Fair Lady of the Lake. Why, thank you. That's right, I brought a sword. It's Evans. (laughs) Okay, so in the movie 300, it is based upon King Leonidas and his brave 300, right? And so King Xerxes, the one who controls the Persian army, which is insanely massive, is coming against them and says, look, you need to be just like bow down to me because we're about to take you over. Well, the Spartans aren't going to bow down to anyone. Well, the Senate says, no, we're not sending our army. So Leonidas goes ahead and takes his brave 300 to stop him. And they do some significant damage. But there's this character, Epiphialtes, who wanted to join them, but he was a deformed man and he couldn't hold up his shield. And so the phalanx would not work when they're battling. It was very important that they worked as a unit, right? And so he gets upset. So what does he do? He goes to the Persian army and he betrays the 300. And so suddenly the 300 are surrounded. Victory after victory, no matter how many troops the Persians sent, and now they are surrounded, and death is imminent. And so, Leonidas, in this epic, dramatic scene, he has a spear, but I have a sword. And so, the Persian army's there, King Xerxes, and you have Piphialtes, and he takes out his spear. This is awesome. <laughs> and he's about to act like he's about to bow down to the king. He says, You there? Epiphialtes, may you live forever. Well, that was nice. doesn't seem too bad. Well, that was a huge, devastating blow to Epiphialtes. Why? Because the whole goal in life was to work to something, to have a goal in mind. And in this realm, it was glory. Die bravely. Do wonderful things, leave a legacy so that you could reach glory. So, for him to say, May you live forever, meant, May you never reach glory. I will not say that to you. Today, I will say to you, as I draw my sword again, You there, Lakeview, and C3Y, may you die. May you be utterly slain. Graphic I know, but I think the point will come soon. (laughs) So, if your Bibles are open to Mark chapter 9, we are going to go on a journey that will show why it is important that we die. Mark chapter 9, we are going to be beginning in verse 1. This is a lengthy text so just bear with me mark 9 starting in one and this is what the Word of God says and he said to them truly I say to you there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it is come with power and after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him but if you can do anything have compassion on us and help us and jesus said if i can all things are possible for one who believes immediately the father of the, tri- the child cried out and said i believe help my unbelief and when jesus saw the crowd come had come together he rebuked the unclean spirit this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. Lord, these notes are just thoughts. I just pray that you would bring truth to these young men and women, that they would see you, that they would be aware of who you really are and their desperate need for your power in their lives. In your name we pray, amen. So first we see that power is revealed, right? Jesus takes his disciples, as Evan talked about, to Caesarea Philippi, and there he asks the most epic question, who do they say that I am? For the majority of us, that might be pretty easy, who people say that he is. And then he asks a more stark question, who do you say that I am? And that is probably the most important question anyone can ask you. Who do you say that he is? Peter does well by God's grace. And after that, about six days, he leads them up a mountain. And as they go to pray, what happens? Jesus is transfigured. So just imagine yourself, one of the disciples, right? Monologues going on, you're praying, and all of a sudden, Jesus is being transfigured. It's like, what in the world is going on? And then you see Moses and Elijah come with him. Took him on a high mountain, he was transfigured. And he was changed, But, but not changed as you would assume. He was merely shown to be as he is. The disciples were able to get a glimpse to who Jesus really is. All this time that they've been with him, all that they've seen, all that he has said to them, once again affirmed. He's having these conversations with him. And we see that, you know, in Mark 8, Peter steps up and he says, you're the Christ. He says, well done. The flesh has not revealed this to you, but God himself has revealed this to you. So maybe he's thinking he's a little bit bold, right? He's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak up right now. And then John's probably like, dude, you really shouldn't. Remember what happened after that? You got slayed. And then maybe James is like, hey, I know a little bit about taming the tongue. You probably shouldn't say anything. But Peter goes ahead anyway. And he says, Oh, it's really good that we're here. Um, should we build tents? Like, that's his clever idea. But, but it's revealing about who Peter really thinks that he is. Because all this time, he says that you are the Christ, and he's seen the deeds that he's done. But he doesn't really know what that means. His answer was only partial. Could you imagine being at the Transfiguration? And all of a sudden, two people show up. And this is like in-game, right? Portals open up and more adventures come. Right? You're thinking like, this is awesome. Watch out, Thanos. You're going down. And it's like, it's on, man. And then they say the famous line. This is how my girls say it. Adventures symbol <laughs> And you're ready to do some battle. As comical as that is, it's almost what Peter was thinking. It's like, oh man, this is great that we're here. We should just build some tents for y'all. Number one, assuming that Jesus was like the other two and not distinct in any way. Because that, that glowing that he had, that, that brightness that no one on earth could, could bleach his clothes, that was his glory, not the others. That was his, as he is. But he's just assuming, oh wow, look man, it's like the Avengers are together. We should build tents. Because he's thinking, I've been oppressed by the Romans for a long time. So let's chillax on this mountain and then we can go down there and we can break the back of the Romans and be victorious. He had absolutely no category for a Messiah that would be slaughtered. And if you look at the account, the parallel account in in Luke, Luke 9.31, Elijah and Moses speak to Jesus and what are they talking about? Dude, you look really good. It's been a little while. No. They talk about, dude, you can't wait to crush the Romans. No, they talked about the road to Jerusalem. They talked about the cross, what he was about to do. The Son of God, radiant in glory, surrounded by two Old Testament gangsters, and they're talking about the road to the cross. That has massive implications on the Messiah that we serve. Listen, there's, there's this idea in the Gre- Greco-Roman world of this apotheosis, right? Which is this belief that in life you can do certain things that, that will elevate you in life. And so if you, if you do some impressive things that you can even be, become like a god in the afterlife. This idea of deification, This wasn't what happened with Jesus. He wasn't apothecized. He already is God. He is the Son of God. And the disciples here are seeing God's power and glory, a glimpse of kingdom power. And they have no idea what seems like defeat of the cross coming in front of them. And, And we can be like this. We can we can have this view that we don't need any help, that that we can do this. We can fight, and we can, in a, in a sense, become apotheosized, be independent, no need of any help from anyone. And and we do this when we have senioritis, right? When you're a senior. And you just get like really lazy. You don't feel like you don't want to give any effort. We can do this when we give no look or care to parents' authority at all. We can do this when we spend week after week walking past this and giving it no attention. We are like that when we never hit our knees in desperate plea for God's help. We can do that. We can be just like the Romans and the Greeks in this category. But how long, how long will it take before you guys are getting get tired of showing up and shutting out? How long it's going to take for you guys to come constantly to church on Sunday morning, youth group, winter retreat, youth camp, and you show up and you shut out the realities of who Jesus is and his claims on your life? Much less your desperate need of For him in this journey, in this road that we're on. How long? What will it take? I pray that it would just take God's grace through his word to reveal it to you and nothing more severe. The disciples are no different from us. They had the most intimate relationship with Jesus. They walked with him. They heard from him. They saw his miracles and they still did not have a clue. Has anyone seen The Mandalorian? Wow. Yes. It is good. Okay? I haven't seen like eight. I have not either, so zip yet. I was put on to this. I'm like, I don't know. I'm a little skeptical about Star Wars for how they've screwed it up lately. But I went ahead and watched this, it is super cool. The Mandalorian, Mando, this dude, this dude goes on. He's a bounty hunter, right? And he gets a job. He's got to go get a certain thing. Little does he know, it's cute baby Yoda. And he's like, what is this thing? And who wants this little sweet thing? I'm not going to give away anything, but basically he keeps with him. And and no matter what he does, no matter what mission he is on, how dangerous it is, he's constantly like, just stay here. Don't touch anything. Right? The whole time. Fights people, gets in a shootout, goes after crazy beasts, and he's making sure that Yoda, you just stay here. Right? Why in the world would you leave this cutie behind? Okay? He just wants to have fun. But he does every single time. Look, we are like that with God. We go on the road, and God has called us to live, and we're just like, Look, Lord, you just you you're so sweet and cute. You just stay here. I got this. I'm good. And we just leave the amazing power behind. And we fight with all of our might. And we wonder why we don't make any progress. It's sad. The question I would like to ask you guys tonight is, Are you captured by the omnipotent God who lays down His life? Are you captured by the omnipotent God who lays down his life? The parallel account in Luke uh, chapter 9, this is what it says. It says, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And there were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The main point. Transfigured, Moses and Elijah, affirmed by the Father, saying, this is my son, listen to him. The topic of discussion? Not ease. Not glory. Not we made it. No. The topic of the conversation was the road to Jerusalem and the cross. And so here we see from Mark 8, 27 to the first portion in Mark 9, we see this Christology and discipleship. This, this need to know who Christ really is, who he claims he is, and who he will prove to be, and discipleship. Because here's the thing. When you realize who Christ is, you realize who you are to become to be. So if you think that he's just this God that sits back in all power and it's all ease, then you're just going to do that in life. But if you see him as the God who came and was utterly slaughtered on the cross, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, when you see that, you understand that you, likewise, on this road, are to die to yourself. You are to be utterly slain with your abilities your strengths that you think that you have your self-sufficiency we need to see this clearly so there's the power revealed that is who God is the messiah who come to be slain and here's what happens when we get involved when there's power attempted and this is what the disciples do it speaks about it in verse 14 through 19 where they come down from the mountain commotion's going on like when the world's happening, the father comes and he's, he approaches Jesus. Essentially says, hey, son ha- is possessed and your guys came and they couldn't cast it out. What's up? What's going on here? So we pick up in verse 28 through 29. And it says, and when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Some manuscripts add fasting. Right? Jesus' response here to the disciples gets at the heart of the matter and why we so often fail. Right? Because we come to a fight thinking that we can handle it on our own. And we're unaware that there's something greater that we've been given to use. Power. Power. We fail. His point was not about a lack of regimen of prayer and fasting, although that is massively important. His point was about your lack of dependence. Now, I don't know what the scene really looked like. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, my son is possessed by a demon, can you pray for him? I don't know how much time you're going to have to pray in that moment, but I'm thinking that you're going to seek God's ability, not your own. Hopefully. And what about fasting? Could you imagine if, if that was the case? Well, you didn't fast. So, did you guys fast today? Everyone's like, oh, I, I mean, I didn't eat anything. And then Andrew's over there like this. Not Descant, disciple. He's like, Andrew, did you eat something? I had some toast. It was good toast. Now he ate toast, and now you're not going to be able to cast out a demon. What a bummer, right? It's not about that. It was their lack of dependence. They were relying on their own efforts and not God's. God is needed in your life. Every day, every second. He is needed. Look, it is important that we linger in prayer. It is important that you have a habit to get with the Lord and seek Him. And encourage fasting as well. We need this in our life. Look, if you come to a situation and you're not prepared to fight and you have to fight, how how well do you think you're going to do? I mean, you haven't seen my awesome ninja skills, right? I have a sword, which is pretty cool. But if I'm not training myself, how am I going to be able to fight? We need these things so that whatever comes our way, we know how to respond, who to depend on. But look, you can't call on something that you're unfamiliar with. If you're unfamiliar with God, who He is, the power that He has, you're not going to call Him in in that time. You're not even going to think about that. You're just going to try to do whatever you can, stick your feet in the dirt, and go after it. We must familiarize ourselves with the God we claim to worship, who He really is, and how powerful He is. Otherwise, you will fight the self-sufficiency versus God-dependence for a long time. You will do life Self-sufficiently, on your own, and be frustrated. Or, you can be one that becomes God-dependent. Hey, we're Christians, right? There's victory. There's forgiveness. You're justified. You're untouchable. You're triumphant, right? We got this. Ain't a thing but a chicken wing. Well, Evan... I can't take credit for this. I'm not really smart. Evan passed along this um, quote... To me, to use. Um, This is from Dan Orland's book, Defiant Grace, and this is what he he writes about being triumphant as a Christian and the misconception there. So, what he writes He said, Are Christians to be triumphant? Well, if by triumphant we mean self assured, superficial, obtuse to personal weakness, beyond correction, self confident quick to diagnose others' weaknesses and our strengths, right? Showy, tickety-talky, triumphalistic, in that case, no, by no means. If by triumphant we mean confident in God's unconquerable purposes in the world through faltering disciples, bold with the boldness that accords with the outrageous promises of God's irrepressible victory, relentless, and reminding the enemy of Christ, emptying of the power of Satan's accusations, prepared to take risks, not for the sake of reputation-seeking, but fueled by faith that is fixed on God, yes, absolutely nailed it. That is how you're triumphant. That is how you experience victory. When you live like that. When you're mindful of that. We need to become people who are self-eradicating, risk-taking, God-dependent Christians. But look, we can't do this alone. I cannot do this alone. There is power needed. And I love, I absolutely love the picture here of the father in this passage. This father is desperate. His son is in significant Need. Can you imagine a father's heart for their child? Since childhood, oppressed. And you fight this for decades. And time and time again, you show up for your child, no matter what that child does no matter how difficult the situation is, and you show up for them, and you're there for them, but you are desperate for help. Perry and Patrice Fye are living this daily. They have an option to deal with it on their own, to just forget about it, and their son, or they can be dependent on God and seek His help. By God's grace, they plead for help. We are weak people in desperate need of help. You want to know how weak I am? Not just muscularly. You want to know how weak I am? This is how weak I am. I have no ability within myself to do anything good. Good. From God's grace. I have no ability in myself to not be selfish, do what I want to do. I have no ability in myself to fight temptation. If any temptation comes my way on my own, I will fail. I'm weak. So my wife sends me down two nights ago in tears. For my lack of care for her. I'm weak. I need help. I don't have the ability in and myself to train my kids in the way that they should go. I yelled at a two-year-old. I'm weak and borderline disgusting. I need God's power to change me, to be in me, to be upon me. Otherwise, I can do nothing. How weak are you? Are you aware? Do you see your need for Him? I see my desperate need for Him in many categories, namely one with my children. When I'm able to be home at night, or when my kids are in bed, I have a steady routine of going in their room when they're sleeping. And I hit the floor. And you see, this is just in my girl's room, the monster man sleeps with me. All right? I waited long enough, that dude can sleep with me. So I go in the room and I hit the floor. And you just have nothing but angels sleeping. Beautiful girls sleeping. And the reality is, as cute as they are, as sweet as they are, their life is in the balance. I have no idea what's going to happen to them. I have no idea if they're going to follow Christ or not. I have no idea if they're going to leave home at 18. No idea. So I hit the floor and I plead, God, would you be merciful? And for whatever reason, he's brought John 17:3 to my mind that I pray over them all the time. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That is what I want them to experience. That they grow up to know Him. I can't make that happen. I'm weak. But Christ is powerful. And I have access to His amazing power. Look, we need to have some adjustments in our mentality in regards to weakness. Murray Harris, in one of his commentaries on uh, 2 Corinthians, he writes... Weakness is not failure. Weakness is the prereq in the concomitant or the accompanying of God's power. We need to see that. Being aware of our weaknesses is a good thing. The fact that we are weak is a prereq to God's power. We need His power. Why do we need His power? We need His power to see and know Him. The disciples walk with Him. All those years in His ministry, walk with Him. They still didn't get it. We need His power to see who He is. We need God's revelatory power in us so that we can see Him as He is. The Savior who died for us and has a claim over our life whether you like it or not we need power to trust him and to have faith in him like the father exclaims in verse 24 immediately the father of the child cried out in tears i believe help my unbelief who has been there who has been there You want to believe, you want to trust, it's just so difficult. How do you pray this? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Any category in my life where I'm not trusting you. Or I'm like, I really don't know if you can solve this problem. You have no idea how much I love this girl. And if she breaks up with me, my life is over. Right? The difficulty at home right now is ridiculous. I don't know if you can solve this. I got a call from a very, very, very close relative. He was very dear to me. And he says, I think my wife might leave me. Christians love the Lord insanely in love with his wife and she might leave. And he's pleading with the Lord. Lord, give me faith. We need God's power to trust God and to have faith in God. We don't have the ability in ourselves to conjure up faith. Here it is. This is my faith, God. Nailed it. I have faith in you. We need God's power for that. We don't have the ability to do that. That is why the Father pleads to help his unbelief. Look, we need power to affect. We need power to change. We need power for things to happen. Right? Right? Verse 25-27 through And when Jesus saw the crowd came running together he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it you mute and deaf spirit I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Can't get past this. Look at the power of our God. Men tried it, weren't able to do it. Jesus comes up, and the Spirit is convulsing at his presence, scared to death of this Almighty God. And with a word, He casts it out and says, Never enter it again. And he does it in what pictures a dying, what looks like the person is dead, and him raising that person to life. That's the power of our God that can do that. So I think about that. That is where my faith comes from. He's able to do it, he's able to break this hold for decades. He's able to break the hold. He's able to heal. Do not feel His effects on your life. Look, He does this for our good. Hosea 6, one. Come, let us return to the Lord. For He has torn us that He might heal us. He has struck us down and He will bind us up. Do not despise this when it happens. God is healing you. God is conforming you. God is walking with you. He alone has the power to effect. And we must learn to be dependent on His power. We need the almighty power of God, the same power that creates all things. Ben, if you want to come on up, my friend. We need His power. It is unmatched in every feasible way. And here's this passage in Job that has just blown my mind. And it speaks about God's power. And this is what you have access to. This is what you have access to on a daily basis. No matter what comes about. As small as it is as Passing a test in school, it's a little bit more difficult of relational issues. Difficulty with parents, fear of your future, an illness that comes about, whatever it is. This is the kind of power that is available to you. This is Job 26. God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. He just suspends it and it stays. blows my mind he wraps the rain in his thick clouds and the clouds don't burst in its weight. That's his power. It's unbelievable. And if he's mindful of that, how much more so you? And just think about you. he's not going to cause you to break. He's going to hold you. He doesn't break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering flax. That's the care that he has for you and the power that's available there for you to access. He covers the face of the moon, shrouding it with its clouds. He created the horizon when he separated the waters. He set the boundary between night and day. The foundations of heaven tremble. They shudder at his rebuke. By his power, the sea grew calm. One word. By his skill, he crushed the great sea monster. His spirit made the heavens beautiful and his power pierced the gliding serpent. These are just the beginning of his power. Other translation, these are just the outskirts of his power. Fragment, minuscule. This? Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Merely a whisper of his power. Who then can comprehend the thunder of his power? power listen do not continue to go down this road to Jerusalem on your own you are in desperate need of his power you are weak that is a good thing you need Jesus do not take that mantra of nah man that's weak bro just just suck it up you got it man fight white knuckling it no don't do this listen Weakness is not lingering on the path of failure. It's not. It is walking on the road to freedom and power. When you could acknowledge that, now you get to experience power. God-given power. Therefore, by God's grace, you can rejoice in your weaknesses for you know who it is at work. And this, this passage in, in 2 Corinthians 12 will be your reality. Paul, backstory Paul pleading for the thorn to be removed. This is what Paul says. It's not fake. He's not trying to trick you. This is his reality. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect, made fully seen, realizes its full potential in weakness. Therefore, because of that, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. That's countercultural, but it's glorious. So that, why? Why would I do that? Why would I glory in my weaknesses? Everyone else is self promoting, and they seem to be enjoying it. Why would I do that? Here's why. So that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong glorious. How freeing is it to be? I'm weak. I need help. And when in that state, you have God's power resting upon you. There's a lot with your fears, huh? There's a lot with your questioning, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Because you have Him. You have the God who suspends the earth on nothing and it stays. That kind of power is in you. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of our God. How unsearchable His judgments and how inscrutable are His ways. They are glorious. Wherever you are on your road, as difficult as it is, as exciting as it is, you need His power. Because He's called you to follow Him on the same path hardships are just around the corner there is not always just a great big beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day there's difficulty but in weakness God grants grace and power which leads to rejoicing in contentment in any situation which demonstrates his massive power and your experience of true freedom that is my prayer for you that you would take that with you Always. I love you guys.